I'm William Jess Laird. This is Image Culture. On the show today, I'm sharing a conversation I had with the clothing designer Scott Sternberg, who founded the line Band of Outsiders in 2004, and most recently has started a new brand called Entire World in 2018. I think that this is the first time we've had a clothing designer on the show, and I'm really happy it's Scott, because there was a time in my life when I feel like I wore nothing but Band of Outsiders clothing. It was really the first clothing line that I felt like I had a personal connection to. And on top of that, Scott doesn't have a traditional background for a fashion designer. And I think the way he approaches clothing is quite different from a lot of his peers. And this probably had a lot to do with why Band of Outsiders always felt so unique as a brand. It was so wrapped up in narrative and a way of thinking about clothes quite abstractly. Scott talks about Band as being a line of clothing that was thinking about preppy clothing. There was always this kind of meta-narrative built into those clothes. And when you wore them, you felt as if you were in on that conversation. It's almost like uh, they made getting dressed feel a little less literal. During the 11-year run of Band of Outsiders, the brand really became a cult classic in the fashion industry, and even today remains hugely influential, and I think representative of a very specific time in American fashion, uh, a time when independent brands were really coming into their own as leaders in the clothing industry. In Scott's new project, Entire World, I see him as kind of getting back to the basics. He talks about approaching Entire World as building a system for dressing. There's something more iterative about Entire World, almost like it's continually building on itself. And I also think the ambition for Entire World, uh, what it's meant to grow into, is very different from Band of Outsiders. In our conversation, we talk a lot about the differences between these two projects, and it's actually a really interesting opportunity to hear Scott reflect on what made Band of Outsiders so interesting, but also the parts of it that were challenging, especially at the end, and to hear him try and apply those lessons to Entire World. So here I am with Scott Sternberg. You know, right now it's a time when we are thinking very globally, and that's really what Entire World seems to be built on this sort of uh, macro view of of not only clothing, but of kind of culture and identity and design. I thought the the history of the names was maybe an interesting way to jump in. Where did Entire World come to you as a name? That's a good question. I mean, I had thought I was ideating names like crazy, which is both super fun to do and, and kind of a little harrowing. It's just like a completely open road in terms of I had like a brand ethos in mind and I had uh, I had a vision in mind and I had images and I had a, even a typeface in mind. Mm. Um, and so I was trying to just put words on top of these images in this typeface and, you know, to some extent wanted them to speak to these codes that I was trying to think about both on the product side and on the visual side. And it just kind of came to me, uh, this idea of entire world, which I really liked. It, it, it came out of Disney World. Um, mm-hmm. It came out, came out of this idea of a place. Mm. Um, this idea that a clothing brand could be a place, could be a, a, you know, that I was trying to create a frequency more than a brand mm-hmm. and a kind of vibe. Um, and I liked the sort of incongruous nature of how that word, which wasn't, it's not even a word. Um, I put two words together, um, could do that. And in the same way, Band of Outsiders, you know, back in 2003, when I came up with that name, 
and launched in 2004, like brands were not called that, you know, other citizens of humanity didn't exist yet. I don't think like mm -hmm. there wasn't like all that, you know, it, rag and bone wasn't quite around yet. Like it, people were brands were called Ralph Lauren and Perry Ellis and Tommy Hilfiger and uh, you know, they were named after the designer. So, you know, entire world was it was it was perfect because it was speaking on one end to this idea of creating this suite of products that uh, was uh, a system of dressing. Mm -hmm. um, and on the other end, it was speaking to this idea of interconnectivity, globalism, this feeling that more than ever, uh, in terms of how we're connected to each other, how we're connected to nature, how we're connected to animals. Like this was a theme that for me was really, really important and something that, you know, post having had a fashion, a proper fashion line, like I just wanted those, I wanted those things to be front and center. So, you know, come, but, but it's really, it's just, I can just brainstorm forever uh, with a bunch of images and, and this typeface, which is the, still the same, still the same typeface. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that it's, you know, it's like graphic design is square one for you. You know, it's, it's images and, and, a, and a font, you know, that's the, that's what, what the brand was at first. There's no doubt. And, you know, band started the same way. It started with a brand book that I had put together that was images and, and the font, which came from letterpress. Uh, from an old Aardvark letterpress, which is an old mm. uh, letterpress place here in LA. And I, you know, my design discipline started with graphic design on uh, the Mac Classic when that was reintroduced, I think in 19, uh, when did I turn 16? 1990 or 89 or something like that. Mm. Um, that was what I wanted for my 16th birthday. I didn't want a car. I wanted that, that, that reintroduced Mac classic and you couldn't really, there was no internet. So you couldn't really do anything other than play with the, you know, there weren't even really good games. So you would play, I would play with graphic design, uh, sort of like layouts and stuff like that. And just that's, that was sort of my in and then photography in college. So I'm very much a graphic design driven designer in a lot of ways. We, I mean, my product doesn't have graphics on it, especially the entire world is quite pure and, yeah. and purpose. But um, I love graphic design. And so even our, you know, our, our the, what became our website was a very intricate PowerPoint document that I put together <laughs> for the developers, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm sure the, I'm sure the Ferris Bueller connection is not lost on you there. Uh, the Ferris Bueller connection is never lost on me. <laughs> Computer instead of a car. It's very nerdy, but like I knew I was going to get a car anyway. Yeah. My sister's yeah. shitty car, her Buick, um, which we called the Ick because the B and the U had fallen off. <laughs> horrible car. Yeah. I just, you know, I'm thinking of you at, at 16. Were you interested in clothes at that, at that point? Sure. I was, uh, it was different. It was a different, I fetishized clothing as objects and I desired certain pieces and, and dreamt about them. I loved Ralph Lauren, which was probably the most accessible aspirational thing in Dayton, mm. Ohio. Yeah. At that time, um, I, I just loved it. It was the color and, and the texture of fabric and yarn and all that stuff. And so I, I was interested in, in design for sure. And I was also interested in fashion. There was, there was uh, Elsa Clench on CNN, Elsa Clench style, CNN style. That was such a great show. 
uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, you know, all these sort of brief little windows that I could get Vanity Fair uh, into this rarefied capital F fashion world, I just thought was so sort of silly and 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 wonderful and uh, global and, and all that stuff. I think there's always been an interesting thing with your brands where it doesn't feel quite fashion with a capital F to me. It almost feels more anthropological in its approach. It no seems more interested in, in clothing, you know, like what is clothing versus fashion? What is design versus style? Or, you know, I feel like fashion has always been kept at arm's length for you. No doubt. I mean, I, I think what fashion was, was a mechanism through which I could create a global brand with Band of Outsiders. And it was not the intent at the beginning, you know, but just inevitably this moment that I was able to ride for mm -hmm. a good 10 years was a moment in American fashion that was incredibly entrepreneurial, uh, where the CFDA was starting to take relevance again, yeah. where my, you know, me and Tom Brown and Rag and & Bone and Alex Wang and uh, Philip Lim and Rachel Comey on her end and mm -hmm. you name it. Like there was this, this whole Proenza, Kate and Laura, Rodarte, Derek Lamb, you know, this whole mass of us just sort of being embraced by the fashion system and I didn't I couldn't even understand why I was being embraced by the fashion system, honestly. And I sort of got swept up in it and for a couple of years got a little lost in it. But yeah. from a design perspective, uh, it was sorry, it's garbage day. <laughs> it was definitely in conflict uh, with my design ethos and why I was my purpose for for starting clothing design, apparel design, uh, because, you know, fashion is really about at its best. And this is cool, but at its best, it's about, you know, these really sort of influential ready to wear lines or couture sort of starting these conversations, these mm -hmm. cultural dialogue, just these conversations about aesthetics or about politics or about whatever it is. And it can be really sort of super insular and about like silhouette or whatever, or it can be a, way more sort of uh, accessible. I was listening to something Mark Jacobs was doing the other day. He was talking on some Vogue thing somebody sent me and he was he described his shows as these thoughts and feelings that he was just mm. putting out there uh, for the fashion world to sort of take in and spit back out and, uh, you know, sort of affect everything from film, television, whatever it might be. So there's something powerful about that, but there was always a conflict with me because what I wasn't really trying to do that. Uh, I was really trying to, from a brand perspective, affect the conversation yeah. in terms of the images I was creating or the stories we were trying to tell and, the context of that. And in terms of design, I was just trying to create really good clothes, you know, that both reference the past in a kind of meta way, like you were saying, kind of an anthropological way, uh, but also were modernist in their sort of rigor and, and trying to do something uh, that felt uh, new, you know. One of the things I always loved about the band stuff was how uh, a lot of the elements were almost felt like they were uh, thinking about clothing. I don't know, how do I put this into words? Like there are almost even literal trompe l'oeil elements in the clothing, you know, like a, a button that was a picture, not a button, or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of specific, you know, examples, but. Yeah, no, I, I, I would, we would, the, the, instead of putting a logo or etching a logo on a, on a real button, we, we would say button on it. Yeah, and, exactly. And a zipper would say pull. Hook would say hook, I would say I. You know, it, it was very part of the design ethos of band was something that was, it was this idea of preppy clothes about preppy clothes. Mm -hmm. It was naive and, and childlike in a way and per, quite purposefully like boyish, both in its the way it was styled, but also in 
sort of my childlike approach to to design because I was learning as I was going mm -hmm. and I thought quite deliberately it was interesting to kind of uh, in a subtle or not so subtle way share that there was something sort of gleeful about that um, you know self-taught design and and just the transparency of just sort of bringing everybody else along for the ride mm -hmm. you know it, you mentioned ralph lauren like being uh you know a fan of ralph lauren as a kid did, did you see the the documentary that came out like a year ago or something very ralph yeah <laughs> that's the one yes i saw it i mean it's 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 more of a commercial than a documentary yeah. but i loved it <laughs> Yeah, I, I think there's I think that's true. But, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, you guys are very different people with very, you know, very different life and a very different point of view. But there are some uh, similarities to you and Ralph and, and how that company. Well, one, Ralph was a self-taught designer and he wasn't he wasn't, you know, he didn't have a sewing background. He wasn't constructing clothing himself. But also, I think the image was everything to him. And almost more important than the clothing itself. And I mean, would you say that that's true for you? I yes and no. I mean, over time, like with entire world, the product has become so so important. Mm -hmm. Not in a way that anybody needs to know, because it, it seems so simple. But we develop all the fabric from like the yarn up. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a painstaking, long process, especially for something that just seems like a sweatsuit or in a cute color or a pair of undies. <laughs> um, but I think that. We're both, there's a similarity in the connection to cinema. Yeah. I think that's, that's really where the heart of the similarity is. And this, this sort of, and that's really the connection to fashion with a capital F is the theatricality behind what a show can be and what a campaign can be and, and sort of the narrative of that and how close that can get to the emotion and grandeur of like film. He yeah. was into a very specific era of film and a very specific type of actor. I'm much more of a like, at least for Band of Outsiders, a 70s sort of gritty American, you know, three days of the Condor, Sidney Lumet kind of vibe. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I think context is everything. I, I, what I was so aware of when I was starting to make clothes, and it, it's it's so overwhelming, and I'm sure it's 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 such a commercial endeavor making clothes, which is which is presumably different from making fine art. Mm. Um, you know, when you, when, when you want, when I wanted to start Band of Outsiders, I was pretty steadfast about it, but also like if I would walk into a store, anything from Neiman Marcus to Urban Outfitters, I would immediately have a panic attack realizing that everything in the world has been made was actually out there at that moment. And to do that, to, to add to that pile of stuff, um, I really had to, have a sense of purpose and it had to translate to the product but also getting back to your original point i had to be telling a story in a new way that was going to excite people and engage them because the reality of clothing is a white shirt is a white shirt is a white shirt that's perfectly fine from prada to something you buy at target but the way you feel in that shirt mm. is as much about its utility to you than like the way it wears because style is so much about personal expression and and this feeling it gives you so the brand is so important because all of that stuff that you put into the brand the consumer is uh, has seen it and and has followed that story and they're just going to feel different about the product and wearing that product because of all that so in a way the context and the narrative and the brand stuff is as much fashion design as the fabric and the stitch stitches per inch and the and the color shade of color or whatever it is. 
um, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Do you remember what the first piece of clothing you ever made was? Sure. Um, what came out? I mean, I started with shirts and ties, and I'm, I think the first sample I saw was a – yeah, I, I remember exactly. It was a very heavy cotton flannel button-up shirt – Close to the ultimate Band of Outsiders super skinny model, but with an armhole that was way too big. And it had a design detail, which was a contra contrast piping up and down the side seam, which never made it you know, into the Band of Outsiders line because I decided I wanted to do something more pure. Not that that was so wild, um, but it was a shirt. And then it was uh, a skinny tie uh, made in myriad of vintage fabrics that I found at a at an old fabric store called International Silks and Woolens here in LA. When you started making clothing with like before a band of outsiders, when it was that when it was just shirts and ties, it, was that something that just got out of hand and became this world or what I mean, did you have a master plan? Kind of got out of hand and became this world. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I didn't have a master plan. I I was trying the master plan the original master plan was I had an idea for a clothing line for Target that this um, this little crew that I was working with at the time, post-CAA, hmm. uh, Emily Emily Scott, who's Emily Woods, Emily Senator, who started J. Crew with her dad, um, and her husband at the her husband her ex-husband Carrie Woods, who was a film producer, who was a friend of mine, and her current husband Tom Scott, who's a an entrepreneur who started uh, Nantucket Actors. Mm-hmm. We were working together for a little less than a year trying to start this company that they didn't know what they wanted it to be, but I was going to run it. And they ultimately ended up starting a media company, but we were pitching, we were pitching Target and JCPenney and Sears, all these apparel ideas. And I, that's when I got really excited about having my own mind. And I had an idea to do that. Um, and it, uh, what was your question? <laughs> I I guess you sort of answered it inadvertently. I'm I'm asking if you had like a if you had a master plan for Band of Outsiders. Oh yeah, the master plan. So like the master plan was start this mass line that that I it was called Workshop, and it was going to take this I this very much what entire world almost became. Yeah, this sort of like but more of like where to work stuff. This very pure modernist. Um, kind of uniform to the masses. That that was the master plan. And when I when I told Emily uh, that she was like, meet some of my f- former employees, people who worked at Coach at the time, mm. uh, Liz Lang, who was a mater- is a maternity wear designer who had a line at Target, and all of them told me the same thing: like, great idea, you're brilliant, great deck. I do a, I do a great PowerPoint deck, <laughs> but you know you you have to you have to start somewhere. You can't just start a mass you know, line for Target, go do something really expensive, get some press under your belt, hmm. and then you'll have a lot of leverage to, to, to do ideas like this, or at least try. So that's, that was the master plan. And then I started doing band and really immediately it, it, I was just, like I said, I was part of this wave of not only these American designers, but this like new preppy thing, this new trad thing. And yeah. uh, immediately uh, was in these amazing stores in the U.S. and then the next season, amazing stores in Japan, and it just started going. And very naturally, I started uh, within the first three years adding a few pieces to to the collection. And then when I started adding ta- adding uh, the tailoring, that took off so quickly at Barney's, 
and you know a, a suit was over two grand so our business really started picking up in a in a, in a nice way it just started going and then Barney's asked for women's stuff and and that hit and and then it got out of control as you said you were tailing with uh tailoring with Martin Greenfield right Correct. Yes. I got to visit that atelier once and that was kind of wild. He's a character. He is. He will keep you wrapped with stories <laughs> all afternoon. He's so great. They were so supportive. They, of my business, they taught me how, how to, how to tailor. And they were so respectful of my vision. They really, they really, we, there was a mutual respect. There It was a very cool, cool relationship. When you were uh, when you're starting and you're designing men's clothes, and then you make that jump to designing women's, did that feel like a really big moment? Was that challenging? I did it so small, in such a small way. It is challenging. It was challenging. But what I did was I created a conceptual box around it. It was uh, called Boy by Band of Outsiders, mm -hmm. and I it was it had a framework that was so small that I couldn't screw up. So the framework was use the same fabrics you're using for men, use the same factories you're using for men and kind of just shrink everything down to some extent. Mm. And, and then it, and then it really expanded from there, like go oversized or that's what really spiraled out of control. It just became all this stuff, but it was so focused. Um, the set of materials I, I allowed myself to work with all the resources that I, I wasn't able to feel too overwhelmed. Women's wear though, once you really start getting into it, can be exceptionally overwhelming versus menswear because menswear there's, there's just like a certain set of you know basic blocks that you're going to make a button-up shirt and a t-shirt and a hoodie or you know whatever it is mm -hmm. with women's wear it's really it can be anything and i tried to keep even after boy and girl the sublines went away and it just was band of outsiders women i did try to keep a pretty tight conceptual framework around it whether it was a theme or, or whatever it was but Women's fashion design is, is a, it's a whole thing and, and nothing like the way I'm doing it with entire world. I, I really like it. It makes a lot of sense. The way it became the way it evolved it, what it evolved into with band kind of did spiral a bit out of control. We were just making too much stuff that we, we didn't need to make. Yeah. So I mean, how long did you do band of outsiders? It was 12, 11 and a half years in the end. The, the thing about band is it was such a huge hit, you know, it was such a, and you, you're talking about riding this wave with this sort of class of designers. Uh, and I think of you as being very unique within that class, but I guess my question, and, and maybe I, I don't mean for this to sound harsh, but, but, but what, what went wrong ultimately with band? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, it's one that after all these years, I still can't succinctly answer. I, you know, listen, I, I'm, I, I run my companies out of LA. It's very hard to put together a group of talent that is relevant for the, what that type of fashion company was uh, in terms of management talent and in terms of design talent and all that. And to scale a company like that and to scale an idea like that. Mm. And I think that I raised money a little bit too late, like two years too late. I didn't pump any money into the company until like six or seven years in, seven years in really, and didn't raise enough. And so we had no room for error in a vital, vital moment for the company where we were trying to expand, we were trying to open a store, do footwear, all the, you know, all this stuff and put a proper foundation in terms of a, you know, a CEO, CFO type. And 
this was all at a time when retail wasn't looking good. It was yeah. the beginning of the apocalypse that we're, you know, that's being accelerated right now. So raising more money was really difficult. And towards the end, my will to keep going had waned. It felt like it got out of control. Mm-hmm. I didn't believe in the fashion system, certainly at all, as it existed, uh, as it related to me. Like you said, I was sort of a unique in there. It, it never quite fit. So it wasn't so hard for me to step away. It was brutal with my staff and factories and all the sort of waste of closing a company. It's just, it's it's not fun. But I, I was just sort of, you know, and, and it would have been nice to just sort of transfer the business model into something new, but that would have taken an, an enormous sort of set of resources. And I was just exhausted. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at the end, functionally, we just took money from the wrong people and we saw things differently and I had no interest in sticking around and fighting with them. So I, I took off. When you decided you were going to do entire world, I, I loved that announcement video that you did where it was just okay. you in the camera. And it did feel like a real confessional in a sense of like, you know, I, you were saying you might be asking yourself, why on earth would I ever start another clothing line right now? You said something that stuck with me about wanting to do something more democratic. Yes. What do you mean by that? It was this idea of um, not trying to do the original target concept, you know, of of mass, because I realized after producing stuff for a number of years that it's really hard to do that ethically. And it's really hard to create a product sustainably. It's impossible to create a sustainable, responsibly made product at a super mass price point. Mm -hmm. But that... I wanted to create a product that a, a lot of people could access from a price point and also understand and enjoy. And it didn't need a fashion editor to tell them that it was cool, mm-hmm. that it was cozy and comfy and colorful and pure, and that they, if they just stepped into it, they would sort of feel it. And, you know, so I was looking at like, when I was you know thinking about inspiration, you can sort of parse it out in that video. It's all there, like my original entire world brand book. You know, I wasn't thinking of fashion lines. I was thinking of Volkswagen and when they launched the original Beetle at the Bug, whatever that car is. And I was thinking of Apple and when when they first launched and what their products look like and and these really sort of uh, singular modernist brands that can speak to the world, you know, through the language of brand and the language of design. Has the way you design the clothes changed? I mean, you talk about creating these almost uh, systems or rules that the collections are built around. Has that changed a lot? There's a rigor to what I do, however simple it all seems. It's changed because there's no themes. There's no fashion seasonal connect collections, right? So like fashion is sort of built on these narratives that you create that can evolve your uh, your aesthetic or sort of like give a new, put a new light on your brand every season. So the Wholesalers can come in, the department stores and the boutiques, and get excited about it again, get, feel a sense of novelty. So at Band, we would do collections that were like, uh, you know, there was there was something that was inspired very much like by uh, rock climbers uh, in the 70s. And some book I had, I had seen that was like a fall 2011 collection for spring 2015. One of the last things I did, it was Barbecue Dads on Acid. Uh, right so and and these themes would would weave their way through the codes of the brand this american preppy meta brand through these novel flourishes of of graphics and and things like that 
all of that is out the window with Entire World. Entire World is a continuum. You know, it, it's it, there's a set of product codes and brand codes, and I'm always adding to a to a color palette. I'm bringing colors back all the time, taking a lilac color from an Oxford shirt from the first drop and putting it in a sweatsuit a year and a half later. You know, literally bringing the same products back because people really like them and not thinking twice about it. It's a continuum of a very very pure design aesthetic that is driven by color it's like a, like a system a system for dressing and almost like a that has a lifestyle that goes along with that very much so and it's it's meant to also just not overwhelm and not um the idea is like the stuff that you live in every day like undies socks tees that a lot of brands treat as commodity that they treat as their licensed product you know this sort of extra stuff that they let somebody else make for them private label mm-hmm. that I, i'm going to make these part of this core of what this brand is and make them really great and and put a lot of thought into them and make you feel good about that stuff, not just your super expensive special blazer or or whatever that is. And it's very much a system and that's part of the continuum, you know, that these pieces will like that boxy tee that you like is it's gonna be around for a long time and that it's gonna kind of play into other parts of the collection that might come out five years from now. It's all just part of the same gestalt, as my Uncle Morris would say. <laughs> One of the things that has obviously traveled to entire world, and it's always been interesting for me, look, as, that, as this new brand has grown, like looking at the similarities and differences to band and trying to track what you kept and what you got rid of and what you, you, know, what you learned. One of the things that has stayed is the way you've approached your campaigns and the images that surround the brand. And I always thought it was amazing that you always did your photography and films yourself. I, I, I guess taking us back to the to the band days, you did these Polaroid campaigns, you know, it's so simple and so powerful. I mean, where did those come from? Total pragmatism. I mean, I, yeah, yeah you know, at the beginning, I, listen, I, I, I wanted to have a brand because I wanted to make clothes, but I wanted to have my own business and I wanted a platform to put ideas out there and. I wasn't quite sure I was going to be the photographer, but I had a lot of ideas about photography. And I remember I hired a friend from college to shoot a lookbook right at the beginning, and I hated it. Mm. I just hated the whole thing, and I hated the way the model was posed and the lighting and all that stuff. And I even uh, hated the collaborative aspect of it because I didn't want it to be collaborative. I, I, I knew exactly what I wanted, and I didn't want to have to compromise or yeah. or play nice. And, you know, you use Polaroid at the time, Polaroids were normal in the process of uh, casting, uh, in the process just for a showroom, whatever it is. You could buy the film at a Rite Aid, uh, at a drugstore, not cheap and not too expensive. And it was it was just around. It was part of the vernacular. And I picked up an old camera, an old Polaroid from the early 80s that has a very strong flash and a couple of manual functions and I had, I had taken tons of photography courses in college. I was like my beyond hobby plus plus. I was super, super into photography. And uh, it was like the time when the websites were on Blogger. And I just um, started taking Polaroids of, a, of an actor that worked at a coffee shop that I used to go to in one of the early collections of shirts and ties. I think it was a spring collection and there were some golf pants in there, some plaid pants and plaid shorts. And I loved them. And they, they immediately, there was no 
question that shot in the right way in the right light that this was the brand you know mm -hmm. it was everything i had, had wanted it to be and you know for a year year and a half i was just shooting this it was just a menswear line i was just shooting this kid mike donahue and this other kid bobby martin in new york and they were like my guys and then i got started getting to you know the brand became much bigger jason schwartzman's uh, cousin jackie getty was at my apartment which was my office um, pulling uh, for a shoot for Jason or pulling for Jason for something. He, I wasn't there. I was in New York and he made his way because uh, he's a wanderer, Jason Schwartzman, into my TV room uh, and saw my DVD collection and immediately was like, give me this guy's email. We're like, so simpatico. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that seems like a very Jason Schwartzman move. Yes, totally. And I got a very enthusiastic email from him and, and we eventually hooked up and shot a very funny lookbook and the lookbooks took on a whole new tone because I realized what happens when you work with actors is incredible. It is, it's incredibly collaborative. And so I would have a bunch of ideas, but then an actor, especially somebody funny like him has mm -hmm. the ability to improv and, and just give something multiple dimensions uh, in terms of emotion and, and humor and tone and all that stuff. So it really took off from there. And, you know, personally, I, I love shooting. I, I love I, I love it so much. And, and with Entire World, I, I just I wanted to personally just go to a new place in terms of being behind a video camera versus a still camera. And that felt like we had a better shot at doing something new and fresh that way mm -hmm. versus photography. You know, Instagram has proliferated to the point where everybody can be a great photographer, which is cool, but it didn't leave a lot of room for uh, for me to create an idiosyncratic set of visuals for the brand. So um, now I get to say action and cut and do do that. You get to do your long, long zooms. I get to do my voyeuristic zoomy kubrick uh clockwork orange zooms yeah yeah no i, I love the zooms well so i mean t taking that that first shoot with jason schwartzman as a as an example you know you say it was so collaborative I and mean, what was your direction like like how did like what was the um what was the vibe of of those shoots i mean jason is very specific so he's different from everybody else but the vibe of those shoots are in general the vibe of like the polaroid shoots is we, we would pick an iconic location around la mm -hmm. or something that really uh, the location had it was a character in and of itself and my team would go we would scout beforehand we would find locations that felt visually exciting but also like there were props and narratives. The first shoot with Jason, we shot it at a prop house around the corner from our studio. So it was like perfect because there were just a million props for him to play with. And as a set, it just felt like a very meta cool idea to mm. do the shoot at the prop house. So typically, you know, it was always the same sort of non-narrative, which was you're, you're here and it's sort of this a little bit of this sense of like this childlike this kid alone for a Saturday trying to keep himself or herself occupied, trying to entertain oneself. Uh, there's a little bit of a sense of ennui and a little bit of a sense of sort of giddiness to it. And uh, that's sort of naive. I wanted something naive out of them. I didn't want anything, uh, you know, naive and sort of solitary in a way, um, super personal and, and, and kind of human. 
And, you know, and then we would just get into stuff and it, I would just shout out crazy directions with the video. It's way more. I'm way more of a director. Like it's really set up and it's very much like, OK, here's the setup. Let's try this. But you get an actor in there and they're going to, you know, they're going to do their own thing. One of the things that's interesting about the videos when I'm just scrolling through entire world on Instagram or I'm on the website or, or when I'm sort of living in that world there's this very interesting contrast between the kind of cut, 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 cut imagery that's thrown at you that's coming from the entire world. You know, all these references that you're pulling and then the very still, like you almost, I almost feel like everything is a is a oneer in entire world land. It's these long kind of zooms where you're pulling out and people are coming in and out of the frame. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's very still and very clean. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the soundtrack to entire world is ambient music that I, create on because music is so expensive to license yeah. on my old Korg 90s synth down in my music room here you have a music and, room oh yeah it's i got all my tools in there it used to, it was the office where i started doing entire world yeah i was doing consulting stuff but the music is ambient the world is there's a sense of you know it's a white space there's a utopian sort of overtone uh, and it is where where it's it's meant to be this rhythm that's just a little bit slower and more ambient than what's happening, certainly on the rest of Instagram mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and kind of in general. It's interesting, like in terms of engagement, uh, you know, like if we start talking about all those metrics and things, yeah, um, the Zoom stuff and the slow stuff doesn't always do as well as like a certain inspo post or a certain influencer repost or something like that. But it's so important to counter all that stuff with uh, our rhythm and our frequency. Um, and I think people like you really tune into that, especially like the, the cult that we're really building inside of this audience for the brand. I think those, those details and that sort of that shift in rhythm is, is so important. When you're describing these, uh, these early photo campaigns, you know, this one with Jason, that also feels like it took on a life of itself and it became this crazy world. I mean, when I was going back through and looking at all the campaigns you shot for Band of Outsiders, I mean, it blows my mind. This amazing, amazing cast of characters, you know, it's like Spike Jones and Greta Gerwig and Don Glover and James Brolin and all these amazing, Ed Ruscha, you know, like Ed Ruscha. It's unbelievable what you put together. I mean, how do you get all these people in there, you know? You know, it's like one step at a time. I look back and I'm, I think the same thing. It's like, wow, shit, that was cool. We just, one campaign after the next. It was really, we started with Jason and Michelle Williams, who we had personal connections to. And, mm -hmm. and Kirsten, I had done a video project with her early on. And, you know, you start building this cast of characters, like you, like you say. And Was Kirsten you know, in, a, in a golf cart? Am I remembering that? Was it? That was a campaign we did later with her. Yes, oh, yeah, she, yeah, we yeah. shot it at the Huntington Gardens. There's a very sort of Margot Tenenbaum uh, moment where she's in the back of a golf cart with a lollipop. Yeah, uh, yeah. Looking, looking scorned. But yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, certain people we knew and we had relationships with or, or I knew their manager or publicist or something like that. And other people just really like wanted to be part of the crew and and. You know, actors, I think, are awesome. They want to work. They want to act. They want to be part of something. They want to tell a story. And and the platform wasn't super commercial. It was a small brand. So, we, you know, we were really lucky. We chased Ed Ruscha for a long time to make that happen. Um, that was like, 
What we was he? What was he like to shoot? He's amazing. He's a total ham. He's 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 happy to do anything, and he's a lot of fun and so handsome. And he was great. He got on a Segway scooter at a Gagosian for us for the entire World Launch campaign. I mean, he was totally down. We had a Segway handler there to train him <laughs> how to use it. It was it was hilarious. And he's great because he you know he loves the clothes. He loves an entire world. I think is especially well suited to him in terms of like the color and all that stuff. Uh, but he's a lovely, lovely guy. There was this this quality, I think, you know, and I, I remember feeling it in those days where it felt like there was all these people that, you know, they, they felt like they were friends within that campaign. You know, it felt like it felt like something it felt like an old Polaroid that you would find like sitting on your friend's dining room table felt so personal and it was so crazy to see all these people who were you know at the time super super famous and a lot of them who I feel like have even since then have become these like you know Donald Glover now seems like the you know such a huge figure and Greta Gerwig oh my god you know who at the time like I would never have thought that she was going to become this incredibly iconic director and yeah you know it's it's an interesting time capsule it feels very intimate those campaigns I appreciate that. You know, it's funny. I, I know Greta's manager, who also produced Lady Bird and, and Little Women. And we we had lunch last year, or maybe it was the year before. It was a couple of years ago as I was working on the launch campaign. And she was like, you know, you saw Greta as a fashion icon way before anybody. Like, she was like, what? Like, where does your brain go, basically? Mm-hmm. Um, but Greta's amazing. I mean, yeah, and it's a ama- who knew that she was going to become such a such a force. Well, it seems um, like you did. She's brilliant. I mean, she's just so cool. And that was a super fun shoot. We did that at a paintball um course, paintball whatever you call that. Um I I still wear these yellow New Balance shoes that are covered in rainbow colors of paint from that day and always think of her. But yeah, no, I mean Frank Ocean, man. I mean, it was a. Oh my crazy God, time. I forgot Frank Ocean. Yeah, he, right, right after Channel Orange, right? Yeah, that was right in that era. We made a suit for him for the Grammys. He was performing live and with that headband, had, with the headband and the yellow suit, and we made a couple because he had to shoot everything beforehand because it was like half video and half live. Yeah, and Baby Donald Glover, who was like on Community at the time, or maybe was writing on Community at the time. He was and doing stand up. He's a he's a completely different thing now. It's interesting. I mean, he's sort of a he's sort of a wild person to try and wrap your head around, because every time I see him, I feel like he's playing a different character. He is a really smart dude. Sneakers, entire world. Are you thinking about this? Shoes, sneakers. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's funny you ask. Shoes are on my mind. Sneakers are one of those things, like where you look around, and you're like, man, there's a lot of sneaks out there. Like, do I need to add my throw my hat into that ring or whatever? Like, maybe. Where I'm at with shoes right now is thinking much more conceptually about what they need to be about and feel like and all the sort of loosey-goosey design stuff. But sneakers aren't quite on the list actually yet. I'm just trying to push back. Tell me. I'm just trying to figure this out. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just I just was thinking about your I was thinking about your yellow new balances that you were talking about. And I thought, you know, there's Uh, and I loved the bands. I loved all the band shoes. You know, that was that was great. I'm just kind of curious. You and AD and the Saddle Oxfords. Thanks for remembering that. Yeah. Yes. Well, yes. <laughs> you you, you want to know the kind of behind the scenes of those shoes? I you know I guess I must have been like fourteen at the time or something. And those shoes were about three or four sizes too big for me. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I never and I I never got the right size. So I actually I actually still have a pair of pristine, absolutely pristine Band of Outsiders saddle shoes in a in a men's size eleven. So if you'd like a if you need a pair of those. Noted. You know, your feet grow as you age, just so you know. It's something that nobody really tells you until you like turn 40 and you're like, why do I suddenly wear a size 11? I'm going to keep so them. You might yeah. want to hang on to them. Yeah. I love those shoes. Those were kind of like, a, it was Tina Barney who had shot that and um, who's amazing. And she was very interested in those shoes. I think it was the shoes more than more than anything that she <laughs> wanted front and center in that in that photograph. Cool. I'm in. That's awesome. I love Tina Barty. She's she's amazing. You know, I, I feel like you've gone on this pretty big journey in terms of starting this very, very small company, Band of Outsiders, a shirt and a tie. And in a lot of ways, it sounds like what you were originally trying to do, you know, it, now you're doing an entire world. I mean, as like an entrepreneur and as and a business owner and a designer, what did you learn and what did you see as the what do you see as the future of entire world? How is that going to grow over time? It's a really good question. I mean, it's the intent is, you know, is for it to, to scale to a, a pretty nice size. And I, I couldn't give you a dollar number. I hate when people talk in dollars, like it's going to be a hundred million dollar business because that just like doesn't mean anything. But it's built to be a, a brand that can sell in any country around the world mm-hmm. and have relevance in a pretty large cross section of men and women's closets, you know. Mm-hmm. I want to be the de facto socks, underwear, sweats, and tees for a new generation. So think about Hanes or Champion or these heritage brands that have been around for so long that are part of that stuff you live in. Like in my own idiosyncratic way, I want entire world to grow into something like that. Yeah. You know, in terms of how that happens and how long it takes for that to happen, I mean, those two brands have been around for a pretty long time. And they came up during a time where there wasn't so much, uh, such a large competitive landscape, so much sort of clutter in the market and all that. So I think hopefully, you know, I can get the right investors behind me that understand sort of the the patience and cadence that it takes to build something like that, uh, but also have the expertise and, and sort of drive to push, to push me and push my team to, to build it pretty fast. I think what I learned from band is that you don't have to make a million products to grow a brand and you're actually just much better off and certainly more sustainable. You can really focus the brand message and the product message, a really limited set of products and iterate on those and repeat those and keep it tight. And likewise, keep the team tight, keep the expense structure tight, because all of that's going to give us the freedom to do this in the way we want to do it and in a way that feels special and not uh, like we're selling out. Band just got off the rails. It was like I was a kid in the candy store being able to design anything I wanted with this amazing Italian supplier that we took on and some new investors and everybody wrote about it and everybody thought it was cool and it just got out of control. So I think, you know, just focus and austerity and humility and bright, happy colors. Bright, happy colors. Scott, thanks so much for talking to me. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to do it. I'd like to thank Scott Sternberg for coming on the show. And uh, I really recommend that you follow Entire World on Instagram. As we were talking about, they produce really interesting content and it doesn't really feel like you're following a brand. You know, I mean, I'm always really happy to see them pop up in my timeline because it's always something inspiring and, and really considered and personal, you know. 
And of course, if you are in the market for new clothing to wear around the house and maybe outside one day, I would send you to theentireworld.com. Other than that, we will be back next week with another episode. And as always, our show is produced by Sarah Levine. Our music is by Jack and Eliza. And I will talk to you again next week. Bye-bye.